0: Your team. Your show. This is Sports Nightly.
1: Fourth and a half yard at the six of Colorado. Now it's going to be an empty set. Snap back. Adrian's going to run off the right side. He's in there for a first down. He's in there for a touchdown. Nebraska takes the lead back here at Folsom Field.
0: Now let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg
1: Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Josh Hokeman in for Ben McLaughlin tonight. And we do have news on the McLaughlin family front. As last night at 9 o'clock, the McLaughlin clan has grown by one as Kennedy Ann McLaughlin was born. She weighed 6 pounds, 11 ounces, 19 inches. And everybody's healthy and happy. Great, great news. So, congratulations to Ben and Olivia. My theory is the nine o'clock arrival is is that Kennedy Ann did not want to hear a sports nightly without her daddy on it, so she said, "I'm just going to wait till the the show's over and then then show up."
2: Makes sense to me. That's a good theory. I hadn't thought about that. That the right at nine o'clock is when Sports Nightly ends, <laughs> so decided to wait to come until then. It makes it all makes sense now. I, I think your theory is dead on. <laughs> well, that's we're just so happy for
1: for the McLaughlins and hope everybody's doing well and. Uh, ben will be back sometime next week but um, that that's fantastic news so Josh had a son back in January now Ben with a daughter here in uh, June there you go automatic play dates
2: that's right yeah right? exactly they only only four months apart so that's yeah that by the time they get older it's bit you they're the exact same age pretty much yeah. so yeah that will been the same grades well yep exactly
1: off to school the same time so yeah okay well hey uh some husker football news today a commitment to the husker 2021 class we're going to start there tonight will schweitzer a defensive and outside linebacker type from los gatos california josh commits to the husker 6'4 215 pounder what do you make of this commitment for the husker football's program
2: well, first of all, it's at a much needed position at outside linebacker. The Huskers do have one other commit at that position with Patrick Payton earlier this year, and that it's a much needed position. They, and the Huskers actually have gotten a number of linebackers. Period, with uh, three other inside linebackers, but outside linebacker is really where they need to head toward, and they they need to fill in that position. So it was good to see that. And he's he, you know, you always look at the the other offers that he's gotten and who the Huskers are competing with when they get a commitment like this and the offer list is is pretty strong for him so I you know there's a TCU and Cal and Utah are some of the schools that were in the running for Schweitzer so that's good to see the other thing is you like his frame I'm not somebody that's going to break down film that's more Ben is good at that and he can do that but you look at his frame, 6'4", and, and 215 is what he's listed at right now. So I think that he has some room to grow, and I think he will be able to put on muscle. And from what I've heard, some of the different experts talking about him, he, he seems like he has good speed to go along with that size. So I think this is overall a good get for the Huskers. Oh,
1: that that frame, you mentioned the frame. that You can add a lot of weight to a six foot four frame. You get him in Zach Duvall's weight room. You get him... Dave Ellis is nutrition, and all of a sudden that 6'4", 215 becomes 6'4", 235, or 240, and you've got a real uh, edge rusher. And that probably does it for the linebacking group unless there is a decommitment, which that certainly can happen. It's a long time between now and December when these young men can sign the dotted lines. That's still a possibility. But as of right now, you look at this, that's the 10th commitment of this class Five are linebackers, three inside and the two outside guy. You mentioned Patrick Payton being the other outside backer for this class. So there's been some work done at that position for Nebraska, and as we, it was you can't have enough of those guys. It's been an area where Nebraska hasn't had enough depth, hasn't had enough playmakers, particularly in the outside backer spots. They haven't had enough guys that can get to the quarterback. You hope that they've addressed that not only with the group that's coming in with this group, but some of the ones that are here now. Blaze Gunderson comes to mind. Uh, from the 2020 class uh, that can pick that up a little bit there. But five of the ten linebacker spots, so they're probably done. And then you look at
2: uh, three offensive linemen, that that group might be about finished, too. Right. Well, and yeah, with a 3-4 system, the the linebacker, obviously you have four linebackers on the field usually at the same time. So that is a position of need that you need to build a lot of depth at. And you're right, the three offensive linemen as well, which I feel like the Huskers are at a point where they're starting to feel better about the depth that they have along that offensive line. And that is a position of strength. One other thing about the Schweitzer commitment is that he's from the state of California, which is the first commitment for the Huskers from the state of California since Adrian Martinez back in 2018 so that I saw that note come up today and I was, that was very interesting in fact I think that you and Austin on the SNBL stream earlier today broke the news when it came out and you talked about the fact that he was from California and the fact that he the Huskers really haven't hit that state in quite a while so that was another interesting note to see the Huskers go back to that state And I'm glad they did. I mean, we we certainly heard a lot about Calabrasca during the Mike Riley
1: era where they made a big emphasis of trying to get Nebraska into that state. Tom Osborne had a lot of success pulling guys out of the state of California throughout his magnificent tenure, including our own Steve Taylor, who came from the state of California. So it's good to see – Nebraska get a young man a high school player from that state Va Maga, the junior college linebacker who Nebraska signed last year he 's originally from california but he play, he did his junior college ball, right. not in that state but so yeah this is a that's a good game i and i like the i like a lot of the frame I looked at some of the film i 'm with you everybody's film ought to look pretty good or you shouldn't be getting offers from high majors like this, right? I mean, you better be dominant at that level if you're going to play at the Big Ten level, and and it's a good tape, and uh, so I know Nebraska is excited about that. It kind of offsets the news a little bit of T.J. Bowlers, the young man from the state of Iowa, same position outside backer who we asked Nate Klaus about bowlers on monday and nate at that time said he goes he's a wisconsin lean now nebraska has had good relations with bowlers but he goes he's a wisconsin lead he did about 30 minutes after the Schweitzer news broke he announced he is going to be a badger so uh, you can scratch bowlers off if you've got a little scoreboard in your house or you keep track of who's in or who's out on this recruiting front. Bullers is off the board now. Good get for the Badgers. They pick him up, uh, and that's not unexpected. That's what we thought was going to probably happen. Uh, So Bullers goes to the Badgers. The Huskers get Switzer today. And according to at least rivals' team rankings, Nebraska now inside the top 30 with this class at number 28, with Schweitzer becoming the 10th commit to the 2021 class. So some exciting news there. We're going to talk about this and a lot more with Parker Gabriel, the Lincoln Journal star, coming up a little bit later on in the hour. Well, we mentioned this earlier in the week. It might have been on our Monday show, Josh, about the NCAA Oversight Committee was making recommendations on a calendar for the rest of the summer into the fall workouts for college football teams where the calendar uh, here in a couple of weeks would allow – workouts, mandatory workouts for teams. The biggest tweak was that beginning July 24th, that the coaches could have 20 hours of interaction with their student athletes as compared to eight. uh, And then full practices could begin on August the 7th. That committee met today for a full vote and passed it. So that's a go for college football. That's the blueprint now for college football teams uh, to basically have six weeks to get ready for the season. If you can start having full meetings uh, and all those type of things on July 24th, that's kind of go time. Now, you can't really get out of the practice field with them until August the 7th, but this all is starting to point, and with what we heard from Scott Frost last night, this is all still starting to point toward a on-time start for college football in September.
2: Yeah, that's right. And that's that's the encouraging thing is it's, it's another step in that direction. And like you said, we heard from Coach Frost last night saying some things that sounded pretty positive toward that. But this is an overall NCAA recommendation and a step for a calendar that will at least get the players together with their coaches and then eventually like you said, August 7th, start with fall camp. And another note with that, for teams that are scheduled to play in week zero, those handful of teams would be able to move that calendar up a week. So there is that, but yeah, it's – obviously is a positive step. You want to start seeing things like this. Any news of making plans for actual dates is a good thing. And we've seen it with the professional sports, with the NBA and the NHL, of them actually giving specific dates of when they're going to start doing things. That's what you want to hear, and that is a positive thing. So it's good to see the NCAA go with things. I'm sure that there will be individual teams or conferences that will go off of what the NCAA has said and kind of make their own judgments on things. But this is... At least a like you called it a blueprint for all the teams in the ncaa to go off of yeah i mean that now
1: you know when you can start you know having full-blown meetings when you can start having full-blown workouts and when that first practice is set in stone and so here we go and again september the 5th is is the opening weekend of the college football season with Nebraska set to host Purdue in that opening game, which will be a giant game for a conference Big Ten West matchup on September the fifth. So what we heard uh, early in the week with recommendations now is set in stone. This is the the blueprint, and obviously things could happen if if the virus oh, yeah. comes roaring back. And we're hearing some some stats today. Some of the southern states are seeing more positive uh, results on the virus. Tests that doesn't necessarily mean that, that their death rate hasn't really changed and their hospitalizations haven't changed much. But they are seeing more positive tests. Is that just because there's more tests being taken? Probably. I mean, that's what happened in Nebraska. Once we started testing more people, we certainly started to see more positive tests. Although even the even those rates have gone down quite a bit here in the state of Nebraska in the last week to 10 days. That is fantastic news to hear that also it's day uh, two of the major league baseball draft they they started a couple of hours ago they're well into this the first pick of the second round was dylan dingler the catcher from ohio state it's been a pretty good draft for the big 10 they've had some names come off the board with max meyer last night uh that is continuing on we were talking about this on S- the snbl stream today josh of the 37 players picked last night Husker baseball got to see four of those guys in their shortened season of the first 15 games. Nebraska saw four of those players that were picked uh, last night, the two Arizona State kids, the uh, shortstop Lofton from Baylor, and then Austin Wells, the catcher from Arizona that Nebraska saw in that Tony Gwynn classic. It shows you that Nebraska's playing that really good competition, and Darren Erstad had pretty much set up this schedule, but I know Will Bolt wants to keep that going on. The, Nebraska's seeing some of the best when they line up these non-conference schedules.
2: Right, and that that's not including Max Meyer, who the Huskers would have seen later in the season yeah. getting picked third overall, which is crazy to think about. But, yeah, you're right. It, it does go to show the strong schedule that was set up. And I do think that that is the way to go. Obviously, you want to win a good chunk of those games and gain some confidence going into the Big Ten schedule. But at the very least, when you're playing that high, high of a competition, you're strengthening your resume. You're going on the road for all of those games that are big-time opponents. And, you, you know, if you can come away with some wins in it, all the better. But, yeah, it's it's all about setting up your resume for the NCAA tournament, which it – I totally respect that going forward, and you're right. What the schedule was set up by Coach erstad, but Will Bold is definitely on board with it, and he wants his guys to be challenged. He wants to put his team in a good position going into the Big Ten schedule. So that you're right, that, that definitely goes to show you how high of competition Nebraska is playing, given how many of those guys have been taken so far in the draft. Well,
1: also, um, you know, Michigan loses a pitcher in the second round, Jeff Criswell, who Husker fans remember seeing him last year, and he was a big part of them making it to the college uh, World Series Championship Series a year ago. And then Michigan lost a One of their top recruits got drafted in the second round as well, so he's probably not going to be showing up in Ann Arbor next year for the Wolverines. We'll keep an eye on that and see if anything else interesting pops from that as well. Delighted to be joined now by Parker Gabriel of the Lincoln Journal star. Parker, good evening. How the heck are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Fantastic. Summer's here. Temperature's warming up, and and there's more and more talk of college football actually maybe going to happen in a couple of months what'd you make of the oversight committee's passage of these uh this calendar here this afternoon
3: yeah it's a it's a promising step obviously and you know i think we've we've done so much qualifying um you know so of everything of anything positive since the pandemic started and i think that's probably still uh prudent you know to just say okay assuming everything stays on the track we're on and 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 all of that but it is a good sign and i think there's some really interesting parts of that proposal when you're talking about voluntary workouts, um, just like Nebraska is doing now and has been doing since June 1st, continuing um, basically through July 12th, and then a couple of weeks of of more supervised workouts, and then the two week mini camp, basically quote unquote mini camp, um, where they're on the field, they can use a ball, you can actually, you know, practice football, but with no pads and no helmets. I think is uh, a really good idea given how long teams have been away from the game. And I, not only that, but I wonder if it's something that might become part of the college football calendar going forward, because, you know, uh, coaches and players, both you would think would be in favor of a little extra time in the summer, you know, out of the weight room and actually playing football with a ball, even if it's not of pads.
1: How far do you think Nebraska's behind folks because of only getting two spring practices in and not making a bowl game?
3: Yeah, I think at this moment, they're probably still quite a ways behind. Um, but that's where that two weeks is going to be really critical. And now everybody in the country is going to get that two weeks. So it's not necessarily an advantage for Nebraska. But uh, if you're working, you know, on a regular, you know, say five days a week or something like that, uh, hour or an hour and a half um, during those, those two weeks, you can get a lot of the installation. I, to me, that's probably, and we'll see how it goes, but – Um, you know, playbook-wise, installation-wise, it's going to be heavy uh, toward that. And every year, you know, when you get to preseason camp, you do have to spend some time, uh, hopefully not very much, but a little bit of time at least going back over the things you installed in the spring. You've got new players. um, You know, it's been three or four months since spring ball. And so in this regard, you know, Nebraska might be able to be um, you know, as efficient or a little more efficient and just getting that stuff installed and then rolling right into a normal preseason camp in August.
1: Again, we're visiting with Parker Gabriel, the Lincoln Journal star. He covers Husker football. The J.D. Spielman news, we, we finally got, as I mentioned to Coach Frost last night, closure on that story. Surprised at all that he's no longer part of the program?
3: Um, not not really. Um, I do think that the door was open uh, probably you know, uh, theoretically, right up until uh, J.D. enters his name in the transfer portal at the beginning of this week, probably realistically more like, uh, you know, until the last few weeks. Um, I think that there, you know, when, when Scott said at the beginning of spring ball that, that they were hoping to have him back for summer workouts, I think that that was sort of, you know, tentatively the plan at that point. Um, but I'm, I'm also not surprised, um, you know, about what, what, what Scott Frost said uh, last night with you that, you know, is uh, probably best for a fresh start. I know that doesn't sometimes it doesn't compute to people because you know JD Spielman was here for four years, um, but that 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 can be the nature of college sports too. And so um, I I'll be very interested. I think a lot of uh, Nebraska um, fans, reporters, observers um, will be interested to see um, what JD ends up doing this year because there are he's 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 limited in some ways by what he's got to. Um, you know, get done and the waivers he probably has to get in order to play at the FBS level. But he does. There are a lot of options seemingly in play, um, and so it'll be intriguing to see see where he ends up and what he ends up doing in the fall.
1: To balance that, Parker, how how big is it for Nebraska that that Omar Manning is is eligible in here and that Xavier Betts is eligible in here?
3: Yeah, it's huge. And I would say I would say this. I mean, I, I don't think that. I don't think that JD Spielman is in the transfer portal because both of those guys are here. Um, but I think that that move uh, from from JD, and also the fact that Nebraska appears to be looking to use its last scholarship that it has available this off season. I mean, the guy that we've heard the most about about um, you know in terms of Nebraska pursuing is a defensive back. He's not even a wide receiver. And so to me, I think that, you know, Nebraska was confident all along that both Xavier Betts and Omar Manning would get done what they needed to in order to be on campus and be part of the team. But I also think that once both of those guys um, had the full green light and got to campus um, and, and got, you know, integrated informally in to the team, I think that that makes – both of those other situations, um, you know, more flexible. You mentioned
1: last night's Scott Frost interview that we had here. Anything catch your ear as you listen to him talk?
3: I thought it was interesting what he said about, um, about the players, you know, a bunch of the players being near, uh, near football ready. You know, that's um, every, every coach will always take as much uh, strength and conditioning time as they can get for their players. And obviously, um, you know the off-season strength and conditioning program didn't go um, the way anybody in the country wanted it to um, this spring and summer, but uh, that that definitely caught my ear, and I thought it was interesting. You know, for for the people out there that follow recruiting uh, closely, and certainly as part of my job, um, that 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 those stats about the rate at which kids are committing are really amazing. And then obviously Nebraska picked up a, a verbal commitment today from uh, from. Uh, Will Schweitzer, who's a, a outside linebacker from, from the Bay Area in California. And that's 10 guys now that are verbally committed to Nebraska, probably about half their class. Um, and there could be more on board um, before you get to the fall, which, of course, in a normal calendar is sort of prime time for recruiting. So I thought both those things were very interesting.
1: All right, you mentioned Schweitzer. Let's go there next. What do you make of, of this latest commitment for Nebraska?
3: Well, Nebraska's got 10 guys verbally committed, and five of them are, are linebackers, um, three inside and, and two outside. Schweitzer is, you know, he kind of does a little bit of everything for Los Gatos, the high school he plays for, um, which is just outside of San Jose. Um, and he plays in the middle of the field. He rushes the passer. Uh, he plays tight end. But he's six foot four and about 220 pounds, and, and that – you know that skill set in that frame. Um, that's that's outside linebacker all the way. And if you look at you know the three guys that they signed at outside linebacker last year, uh, Blaze Gunnerson, Nico Cooper, and uh, Jamari Butler, and then the two guys so far this year um, verbally committed in Will Schweitzer and Patrick Payton from Miami. All of those guys are at least six four. Uh, four of them are six foot five or listed at that. And you can just tell, it's no secret, you know, that Nebraska wants to be uh, bigger, longer, uh, rangier, especially an outside linebacker. And, and I, I'm I'm very interested over the next, say, like 12 to 18 months, uh, how many young guys are going to get a chance at that position because I, I, I think the answer, my suspicion is that the answer is going to be a lot. Yeah.
1: and it's an interesting point about the length. And I look at their last couple of classes, Parker, and I think it's a conscious effort. They just don't think that they've been tall enough, long enough, Across the board, as a football team, offensive line, defensive line, outside backers, even DBs. I mean, I, this is something I think that they kick around every day in their meetings.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, it's, you can take any position group and look at the way they've recruited since since Scott and his staff have been here. I mean, you know, the, the every virtually every corner uh, cornerback that they've signed has been in that six one to six two or even a little bit bigger range. I don't remember the numbers exactly off the top of my head, but I believe of the linebackers, inside linebackers, not even outside guys, but of the inside linebackers they've signed, uh, the vast majority of them have been 6'3 or taller. I mean, um, Mauda Clements, the junior college guy, is 6'2, and I think he's about the smallest inside guy they've signed. Uh, Garrett Snodgrass is 6'3, Jackson Hannah is 6'3, Nick Henrich is 6'4. I just go down the list, and and every uh, position, whether it's, you know, six foot five and six, six defensive linemen or, or, you know, long rangy linebackers and that stuff, you know, I think even this year, when you, if you were to pencil in a two deep on defense, there's a lot of guys who have been in the program for three or four years that are still going to be five years that are going to be major uh, contributors. But that wave of youth and length uh, is coming. I think you'll start to see it this fall. And then I think the real, the first time you'll really notice it, fully on display is probably 2021
1: don't you think that the, the depth that they've started to develop with some of these younger guys who may not make the two deep on defense or even in off, some cases offense that's got to help special teams right i mean in that in that where a lot of teams make hay on special teams is those guys who can't aren't quite ready to to help you defensively but can make plays special teams wise
3: yeah, I think that. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think the combination of you know that 2019 class that has I think maybe 21 guys in it or something like that still um, that didn't redshirt or excuse me that did redshirt last year, you know you're you're limited to four games with those guys and so you're kind of trying to piece together who's going to play where, and that class is sort of turned loose now. So I think the combination of yeah. of all of those guys, all those linebackers and defensive backs, um, you know even guys like Chris Hickman. Um, on offense who are now you can play them as much as you want. And then you've got a crop of walk-ons that have now been in the program for two and three years. You'd think that that would help, uh, you know, just the overall body of depth and and sort of usable guys for special teams uh, that Nebraska will have going forward. And it's important that, that it actually does play out that way because I think for as much as we talk about the specialists themselves kicking and punting, uh, and returning, it's all of the other guys that are on the field and those four, you know, the four special teams, the core special teams um, that can make a lot of difference.
1: All right, Parker, last thing, you know, I, I said, has Nebraska behind because they didn't have bowl prep and they didn't they only got two of their spring practices in. But, boy, they're being aggressive on getting guys back, right? I mean, they, maybe they, I think maybe Illinois and Nebraska are the two that started June the 1st. I heard today Northwestern's not starting their voluntary practices or workouts until the 22nd of June. Nebraska will be three weeks into it by then, Nebraska seems to be really aggressive. And I think they feel like they have some science on their side because of the, the help they're getting from UNMC.
3: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And, and, and it's interesting, you know, this has been, it, it's not just, um, they didn't just put this plan together on June 1st and throw it into action. I mean, you know, um, I was listening to an interview recently with Dave Ellis, the, the uh, performance nutrition director, He's been doing this kind of thing for a long time, obviously never dealt with a pandemic like the like what we're going through. But, you know, he said that as soon as campus shut down, they worked to transition um, the meal program to being grab-and-go for, for eight or nine weeks. It was just handed through car windows, and now they've got sort of an outdoor um, market, he called it, um, so that there's a yeah. little bit more options. But these things aren't there's not a playbook for any of this stuff. And so I think that there's, you know, some credit due to, to guys like Babe Ellis, um, guys like Zach Duvall, like Jared Lambrecht, the chief of staff. I mean, these guys have spearheaded, um, you know, aggressive plans. And there's always some risk in being aggressive rather than sitting back on your hands. Um, but they, like you said, they've got UNMC at their disposal and they have got a lot of people who know what they're doing. And it's been interesting to watch, I think it'll be continue continue to be interesting to watch um, how much uh, Nebraska can and is willing to push it and and whether um, you know that that pays off in the fall.
1: Very good. Parker, always great to catch up. I think I think I feel I'm feeling more and more optimistic every day that this thing's going to happen in the fall and maybe even on time. I think it's I think it's college football fans and people that cover and follow the sport so much. It's this is all good news.
3: Yeah, it is. It is, and we also just keep on keep on doing what we got to do to make sure we can get there too so no doubt
1: parker thank you have a great night
3: yep yeah, thanks Greg.
1: no sports on this weekend but we've got you covered
3: i know
0: everything about film. i've seen over 240 of them
1: time now for sports nightly Flicks picks and action Time for this week's flicks picks. I'm going to go first this week. I'm a big Tom Hanks fan, and I don't, I'm not, don't know that I know anybody that isn't. I mean, just says great movie after great movie. One of the ones that I had not seen was Saving Mr. Banks, and it's the one where he pro, he plays Walt Disney, and he's trying to get the author of Mary Poppins to sign over the rights to him so he can make the movie that was a classic back in the 1960s. And then it really, it's its more about her and her journey and her background that led her to write the Mary Poppins thing that really was. And Hanks, I mean, he was a fairly big part of the movie in, in, in other ways he really wasn't, but it was okay. I, I enjoyed it and uh, here's a little snippet from Saving Mr. Banks.
0: Mary Poppins is not for sale. I won't have her turned into one of your silly cartoons.
1: Says the woman who sent a flying nanny with a talking umbrella to save the children.
0: You think Mary Poppins has come to save the children?
1: Oh, dear. Mrs. Travers, what am I missing here? I'm
2: wondering what I have to
1: do to make you happy.
2: You know, you've never been to
1: Disneyland, and that's the happiest place on Earth. No, 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 well, when does anybody get to go to Disneyland with Walt Disney himself? There he is. Where did she come from?
0: Mary
3: Poppins and the Bankses, They're family to me. Mary Poppins was a real person? So
0: it's not the children she comes to save, it's their father. It's your father. You don't know what she means to me.
1: I won't disappoint you. I swear every time a person walks into a movie house, they will rejoice. Don't you want to finish the story? I enjoyed it. It's on Netflix and watched it last Friday night with the family. We really enjoyed the movie a lot. Again, you can't go wrong with a Tom Hanks picture. So uh, I'd recommend it. It's pretty good. And and I'm looking forward to Long Gone Summer, the ESPN 30 for 30 about Sosa and McGuire's home run battle that's going to air this Sunday night.
2: Yeah, that's going to be fun to watch. I actually, Victoria and I watched. Uh, saving Mr. Banks a couple weeks ago. I'm surprised I didn't have it on Flix Picks when that happened. But yeah, I, we we liked it, and yeah, it was good stuff. Obviously, Tom Hanks is is solid. Uh, awesome. w- what I'm going to be watching and have been watching, I my in-laws, my brother-in-law, and, um, our brothers-in-law, and my father-in-law. We all started watching the uh, show Lost again, and it's been a while since I watched it. I think I watched it back in like 2012, 2013, that era. So. It's been kind of good. We've gotten through um, a couple episodes. We're going to, uh, you know, one or two episodes at a time and then kind of having a discussion about it, trying to relive it. So it's kind of fun having a, a little bit of a discussion group to talk about it with. How many seasons was lost? Do you remember? Mm, five four? or six, I think. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It might have been, yeah.
1: Yeah.
4: Austin? So I'm still going through Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I just got to the start of season four. I heard my, my favorite line of the series so far. Uh, Peralta gets hit by... A car after he's already injured, and uh, he's laying in the hospital bed talking with Terry Crews, and tells tells Crews that the, the doctor said all the bleeding was internal, but that's okay because that's where it's supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, his, his delivery, the setup was great, and I'm also watching Uncut Gems, the newest Adam Sandler movie, with my roommate, whose birthday it is today. So, shout out Andrew, happy birthday!
1: Have you enjoyed that's,
4: it? It's been quite a ride. I, yeah. I'm not sure. I don't know exactly how to describe it. It's it's fine, not my favorite, but Eh, it's okay. Okay.
1: Very good. That's this week's Flicks Picks from Greg, Josh, and Austin. He's originally from New York, but now calls the second city
0: his home. He prefers seeing a yellow card over an icing call. His choice in pizza is still up for debate, but his knowledge of sports spans from boxing to yachting. Sponsored by Bathfitter for the beautiful bath you've always wanted. Kickstart your bathroom remodel by visiting bathfitter.com today. Now, here's the worldly Teddy Greenstein of the Chicago Tribune.
1: Well, good chance to check in with our man from Chicago who's probably been glued to the television all day, watching live golf and not an exhibition but a real tournament.
5: I wish I was there, Greg. I, I put in for real, I put in uh, an offer. I said, Hey, I'm willing to take one for the team, send me down to Texas, I'll get you some original <laughs> reporting, Chicago Tribune. They were not having a company wide ban on travel, so absolutely. It was just great to see. I know a real competition and um, you know, certainly some goofiness. I think as it goes on, it's gonna be fascinating to see Saturday and Sunday how it affects the players. I think the scores won't be as good. I mean, obviously they were good today. Guys are shooting seven under, you know, they're they're jacked up, they're talented. But a couple things. One, they won't have the adrenaline from the crowd. And two, you know, when they hit these wayward shots, usually they can hit it off, a, you know, a spectator's noggin and get a good bounce. And then also there are areas where the rough is tapped down. So none of that is going to happen. So I think the scores – uh, won't be quite as low as they would be, as uh, you know, when they'll have spectators again. Hopefully, in about four or five weeks.
1: It, it's a great field. A lot of the top guys, minus Tiger, yes. are in this thing. Yeah. Does it does it take away from you watching that there is there aren't fans there? Does it bother you as a viewer of golf at all?
5: Um, I mean, I think. Look, I had it on today, kind of without the sound. I was writing and just had it on as a curiosity. But I think that's still an interesting question. Saturday or Sunday, if it's close. If we're not hearing the roars and and if we're just hearing like the, you know, like a couple, a couple spectators with a casual golf clap, uh, maybe it'll take a little bit away. I mean, I've been watching a little bit of the KBO, (laughs) the Korean baseball organization, Uh, (laughs) not quite the same, but, you know, if it's 85 percent as good, that's uh, we'll take it at this point.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, uh... The, the exhibition things were fine that we watched a few weeks ago, but this is the real thing. It was I was really excited to see that today. Yeah. and I know sport, sports fans are really excited about the ESPN 30 for 30 that comes up Sunday night long gone summer, which in Chicago, again, just like the last yeah. dance, Sammy Sosa's is the centerpiece of this thing as well. I'm sure yeah. you're excited to see it.
5: Well, I've seen it. Uh, so I wrote a little something. Uh, Dan who covers the Bears and the NFL for us. He and I did – Kind of like an email conversation. Back, uh, we both we both watched it. We tried not to, <laughs> tried not to spoil the ending. Although I think most people probably already know what happened. Um, I don't think it's great. I think it's I think it's decent. You know, it's very very different from Last Dance. Basically, what this director did was, it is just you know I said it's it's sort of like just running through a book of highlights. Okay, they started in spring training and then. Comes April, and then in June, Sammy hits 20 homers, and then at the end of the season, you know, there's one interesting detail at the end of the season that I didn't know. McGuire was so gassed, he actually told Tony La Russa, don't play me on the final regular season game. La Russa told him, you're in the lineup, <laughs> too bad. <laughs> and McGuire hits two more bombs. So if it hadn't been for La Russa, that record would be at 68 instead of 70. So I thought that was an interesting detail. Now they don't get into steroids until the very end. And as it was going on, I thought, oh, my God, are they not going to address it at all? So, you know how, I mean, we certainly loved Last Dance, but there was some criticism of it because it jumped back and forth chronologically. Well, well this doesn't do that. I mean, it is truly like flipping through a book, and it's certainly not very controversial. Uh, Sammy will offer some, you know, lame, lame excuses and lines about steroids. Uh, so it's enjoyable. Um, it reflects the 98 season, which was pure fun. But I, I consider this documentary kind of like empty calories. When it's over, you don't really feel like you learned a whole lot. You know, I think with really good documentaries, they make you think. This one doesn't make you think. But if you just want to have fun and relive the 98 season, which was incredible, go ahead and watch.
1: You've had a lot of interactions with Sammy, even some recently. <laughs> what, where is his mind right now? Where is his head at right now?
5: Greg, he's the most stubborn guy. I mean, so I covered him pretty much every day, 2000, 2001, and 2002. So I was, unfortunately, on the White Sox in 98. And then I was in the White Sox again in 03 when things started falling apart. So I was not there, you know, for the corked bad and not there for a lot of the good times. I was there for some of the controversial times, like when uh, Rick Riley from Sports Illustrated decides he's going to go up to Sammy and say, hey, I think you should, uh, you know, you said you want to be first in line for a steroid test. I made an appointment for you. Let's go ahead and do it on your off day. So I've written a little bit about that. And then I've, I, I've written recently about um, some of the confrontations we had. You know, he's not the smoothest guy. I mean, sometimes you could joke with him, but other times he was, he was very sensitive. And I remember one time he hits a ground ball off of Walt Weiss's glove. And um, it was after a Cubs victory. So everybody was in a good mood. And I said, I said, man, the official scorer did you a solid, huh? And he goes, oh, you official scorer, buddy. So I thought he was kidding. So I was like, yeah, man, I, you know, I write the stories. I decide what's a hit and what's an error. He gets all serious and says, you want to take a hit away from me? I said, Sammy, I'm just kidding. He goes, I got no words for you. And he walks away. <laughs> and that's, that's how he was. He would get extremely defensive. Like if you asked him about missing the cutoff man or taking the wrong angle uh, on a fly ball, he would get very he'd get very pissy. Like, so I, I described covering him like he was a superstar who demanded to be treated like one. Other guys you could mess with, Sammy, there's so much pride. And I think that'll come across in the documentary. Like, Because he has so much pride, he simply cannot admit what we all know, that he took performance enhancers. That's how you go from a 165-pound toothpick when he comes up in the Rangers organization who can run like the wind and has a great arm to a 200 and who knows 30 pound beast who's you know who's hitting 66 bombs, but he cannot admit it. If he just admitted it, I think his life would be a lot easier. But he's got all this pride, and sometimes that gets in the way of, you know, what could be an, a nicer and easier post-retirement life for him.
1: Teddy signs with us from the Chicago Tribune. We've been, we've been keeping an eye on the, on the Major League Baseball draft. We're certainly, yes. certainly into college baseball here, and so a lot of these names are familiar to us. One name that really was sort of familiar, but I don't remember a lot about it, was the Cubs pick of Ed Howard. Yeah. It seems like it's been a very popular pick in your area.
5: Yeah, it couldn't be more popular. I mean, this is a kid who played at Mount Carmel, which is a school, really good athletic school here in the suburbs uh, that produced Donovan McNabb. And going into the draft, I heard Ed Howard was a late first-round pick. Lo and behold, Cubs have the 16th pick, and they selected. And there was a draft party in Munster, Indiana, in northern Indiana, not far from here, and Ed put on a Cubs hat. And it's interesting timing, given that Theo Epstein just a couple days ago talked about how he had failed. Like, the Cubs don't have enough minorities, certainly in high levels of the organization, and maybe not on the baseball field either. And now they take uh, an African-American shortstop and it certainly reminded me of um, of the White Sox shortstop Tim Anderson. so I wonder if you know he's going to become a bit of a mentor for him. I mean you know African American participation in baseball now is so low I feel like in the major leagues I just saw a number maybe it's only six or seven percent of the league like when you and I were watching in the 80s it was maybe seventeen or eighteen percent so that's uh, that's unfortunate, but I think this is a great day for the Cubs if it pans out because I mean, who doesn't love uh, a hometown hero? And he was on that famous Jackie Robinson team that played in the 2014 Little League that had this city all fired up until it turned out that they were grabbing – it was like an all-star team. They were grabbing players from all these different areas, and I think they had to uh, give up their crown that year. All right,
1: very good. Well, I think I saw today the Northwesterns going to open up the doors for some workouts on the 22nd of June, right?
5: Yeah, so we're getting closer and closer. You know, they had – Greg, they had – Presidents and chancellors meeting Sunday, so I thought maybe some news is going to come of that, but it didn't. I was in touch with Jim Phillips the other day from Northwestern, and he says they have not decided on the schedule yet. It's going to be extremely interesting to see: do they start on time? Do they end on time? There seems to be a push to uh, try to maybe end the season by Thanksgiving. You know, so if the rest of the student body at all these schools is going home, and they don't want the whole back and forth, uh, to, you know, to risk the health of kids because this country is going to have a second wave. I mean, I think we're already seeing it in a lot of the southern states that opened up early. So I I bet I think it's going to be probably pretty rough mid-fall, late-fall. So the question is, you know, can they do this whole 12-game schedule over 13 weeks, or do they try to do something more like, you know, 10 games in 10 weeks? They're working that out now. They're they're analyzing different options, and uh, hopefully we'll know, I guess, by July.
1: Yeah, very good. All right, we'll go back, enjoy the rest of the golf for the weekend, and we'll look forward to chatting with you next week.
5: Sounds great, Greg. Be well.
1: Right now, time to welcome in a special guest to take part in our 7-on-7, seven seven, Matt Coatney. Code, Coat, how are you? Greg, I am so excited to be
6: here. First of all, congratulations to Ben McLaughlin and Olivia on the birth of Kennedy. She looks great on the pictures I've seen on social media. Ben, welcome to the world of fatherhood. Uh, The fraternity welcomes you. It's the greatest profession ever. And uh, could not be happier to be filling in for you tonight. I've listened to this segment for years. I've done a lot of things on this network, but I've never done this segment, so I'm ready. I'm kind of excited
1: about it. All right, let's hope the guys are a little kinder to us than they've been the last yes. couple of weeks, like plotting our own death and that type of thing. <laughs> that is morbid. All right, let's get into it.
0: It's summer. The Huskers are sharpening their skills with seven-on-seven drills. We're keeping Greg and Ben in shape during the offseason with some seven-on-seven of our own. Seven topics. A seven nation army could hold me back. From sports. From Manning seven
2: touchdown passes.
0: To pop culture.
2: I never joke about my web 007.
0: It's time to go seven on seven on Sports Nightly.
2: Well, Code, I'm glad that you're excited to do this. We actually, we, we played it a little bit softer than what we normally would we didn't ask you know five or six really hard questions we only have one or two in there we'll we'll break you in easy we'll we'll take it easy on you tonight
6: sure i believe that
2: (laughs) (laughs) all right well we start in with topic number one today of course marks the 10-year anniversary of the big 10 conference officially accepting nebraska into the league and the huskers are obviously happy where they're at right now in the Big 10. But if you could form a dream conference for Nebraska across all sports, what other schools would be in it? And this is an important question. How many would be in in your dream conference? I would go no more than 12, because I think 12 is the right
1: number for a league. I think 14, and they're talking about 16, is crazy. And mine would be a mix of some Big 10 and some Big 8 schools. I would I go get my I would go get the two Kansas schools I'd go get the two Oklahoma schools I'd add Missouri, heck with Colorado I'm keeping them out, and then I would go get I'd keep Iowa Minnesota Wisconsin I'm not sure what I'm at right now but kind of a combination of that. Coach that's that's my dream right there I'd love that.
6: Okay I'm gonna go completely off the board here <laughs> I would go ten because I love I don't like huge conferences. And I would get the Miami Hurricanes and the Arkansas Razorbacks in here because I think. Oh, those you're going to travel
1: more. like crazy. Who
6: doesn't want to go to Miami? <laughs> Husker true. fans love going to the Orange. Well, heck, let's just go down there and play a conference game. You're going to tell me Husker fans wouldn't get fired up for the Miami Hurricanes? I can tell you that uh, the Rutgers Scarlet Knights would not be in my dream conference, but I would have Oklahoma. <laughs> I would have Kansas State because everybody misses going down. To Manhattan, I would have Kansas. I would have Minnesota. Uh, I don't think I'd have Iowa. I don't know how many I'm at right.
1: <laughs> Did we lose him?
6: On uh, Nebraska, don't, don't play nearly enough in enough sports.
1: Okay, so my ten. I'm with you on the ten. The two Kansas schools, the two Oklahoma schools. That's four. I would get the two Iowa schools, and then Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Missouri. There's my ten with Nebraska.
6: Love yeah. So I so I had Miami, and Arkansas. That's two. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Four. Kansas, Kansas State. Six. Um, let me see here. Minnesota. Seven. Yeah, add Wisconsin in there. Eight. And uh, oh no, I gotta have Colorado. That's a huge rival. I know. I know you. Everybody hates <laughs> them. That. That's what makes them a good rival. Nine. And uh, yeah, Iowa State. I'd, I'd love to see Bill Fennelly again for women's basketball. Yeah, there's my ten.
2: Very good. Now, now, Courtney, I we didn't. We, this was a, a softball. We didn't ask you to do anything ne- negative, and yet you had to just throw Rutgers right under the bus. We didn't even ask you <laughs> to do that, and you did it anyway. That's that's
6: that's not a negative. That's like a given. Uh, really? True. I mean, there's no, good people in New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Uh, I mean, everybody
6: on this network's made that trip. We're all on the same page here.
2: Yes, we are on the same page.
4: We're thanking it, you said and We appreciate that about you, (laughs) Coach. Topic number two. So earlier this week, a man broke into Miller Park in Milwaukee, and he took a joyride on a tractor, attempting to carve his name in cursive on the field. Now, Greg, I can see it in your face. I know what you're thinking, but this was not Lane Grindle. We have a name in a mugshot. doesn't appear to be Lane, so we're good on that front. But if you guys could have your name forever engraved on the playing surface of a sports facility, where would that be?
6: Wow. Okay. You know, the low-hanging fruit for this one for me is Busch Stadium in St. Louis. But I'm not going to say that because I think Busch Stadium is gorgeous. They've got that beautiful arch that they can mow into the field there. And that with that. I don't know if I'd want my name, but I would love to have my three-point call. You bet you I think uh, mowed into Memorial Stadium in Baltimore doesn't exist anymore because I, I, I saw so many games there when I was in the Navy and there was somebody who snuck into Memorial Stadium when I was living there and they actually uh, burned with gasoline their name in the grass there and they had to like chop all the grass up and play the game on dirt like a slow pitch softball game so I always thought that was interesting so i'd say memorial stadium in baltimore that doesn't exist with my three-point ball.
1: earl weaver the longtime manager of the orioles used to have a tomato patch he yeah. blew tomatoes <laughs> down the, down one of those foul lines
6: yeah
1: i'm going arrowhead stadium guys I'm, i want my name somewhere inside arrowhead stadium where i've seen a lot of chiefs games and now they're the super bowl champs so put me down
2: for arrowhead fair enough Good Josh, you'd be with me on that. Oh, yeah. I'm all over that. Target Field. Yeah. I need... I'm, I'm with you on, on that, though. All right. Uh, topic number three. Last week on Flix Picks, I talked about the new TV show Space Force starring Steve Carell and There was news related to that show earlier this week as Netflix has apparently secured a global trademark to the term Space Force, and they did that before the U.S. military could. Now, this (laughs) shouldn't end up being a a big deal as the actual military has a pending trademark within the U.S., and the only reason it would end up being an issue is if both... enterprises started trying to sell the same types of products on the open market but either way a couple questions for you guys if you could take credit for any invention in the world what would it be and then going in another direction what fictional character would you want to be in charge of your space force so an astronaut pilot or general something like that that's on a, a tv show or a movie I was a Trekkie. I, I like
1: Star Trek, so give me Jean Luc Picard, who was the uh, the captain of the Enterprise. So uh, give me him. He's my fictional character to, to run the space force. I think he'd do a great job with that. Um, well, what was the other part of the question? What If I
2: could well, trade, if you could take, yeah, if you could take credit for any invention in the world mm. in world history, what would it be? Holy yeah. moly! There's a lot out there. Yeah. <laughs> Um,
1: Tell you what, whoever came up with the old cell phones, that's a pretty good deal. I mean, I, think about how much that's changed our world, having a yep. cell phone. So put me down for a cell phone.
6: Well, personally, whoever invented the post-it note, I hope <laughs> made a lot of money. Because, you know, as we can get as advanced as we want, and you, know, you can take notes on your phone or a computer... But you go into any office and you will find a bunch of post-it notes. And if you can't, boy, they're, they're going to order it, okay? My second thing I think I, I, I wish I would have invented is the disinfecting wipes that you can't find in the store anymore. Boy, my goodness. I mean, you know, I was a kid, we didn't have those things. We just used elbow grease and a, and a towel. Now, in terms of fictional characters who would be in charge of Space Force, it would either be underdog, uh, because I think we'd be undefeated, or I'd go way <laughs> off the rails and Matt Foley from Saturday Night Live living in a van down by the river. Oh, I okay. think he's got the right demeanor <laughs> for what, for, for how how weird can you be to be in charge of, of outer an outer space military? I think Matt Foley would be perfect.
4: Some, well, quick, they... some quick research on the whole Post-it note thing. Arthur Fry is the name of the guy that invented it, and estimates have him at about three million in net worth. But there's a four hundred yes! million dollar lawsuit for someone else claiming he invented them the year before. <laughs> oh no! A battle! You,
6: I can't live without him. I, I mean, I live with Post-it notes, and I and I like being a technologically advanced guy. But man, yet I mean, I mean.
4: Post, can you can, can you imagine a world without post-it notes right now?
1: No. Pretty uh, crazy. No.
4: All right. Topic number four. So The Last Dance is over. We've had a couple other ESPN documentaries break. Just talked to Teddy about uh, the upcoming Maguire Sosa one. But Michael Jordan from The Last Dance, of course, and other things, remains in the news. Earlier this week, he was part of a fishing tournament in North Carolina where he and his crew reeled in a 442-pound fish, a blue marlin to be specific. It was the fourth largest fish caught in the tournament that day. So we want to know, are you guys fishermen? And if you are, what's the biggest fish you've ever caught?
6: Okay, uh, the answer is no. Um, (laughs) You would think, being from southwest Missouri, you know, my best friend's dad sold uh, bass boats forever. And uh, I... I have sat on a boat with a lot of people. I fail. I'd say the biggest fish I ever caught was off a cane pole in Rudy, Arkansas in about 1973. I pulled probably about a four-pound catfish out of a river. That's dinner. It, it, yeah, well, duh. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they if you take me out fishing, I'm... Uh, I'm going to sit there with a cooler of beverages and uh, try and tell stories and let you guys do all the work. But you, you are not looking at an angler right here, which is I'm about as far away from from a fisherman as you can get. I'm sorry to say, guys.
1: I'm with you. I, I'm not much of a of a fisherman either. I remember I caught, I think it was a bluegill I caught out in Colorado when I was a you know, maybe 10, 12-year-old kid. Uh, it was a couple pounder. It wasn't four. Four's pretty good size. No, mine wasn't four, yeah. but I'm kinda of with code. Not
2: much of an angler. Wasn't four hundred forty-two pounds either. No, I, no, 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 I can't even can't even imagine that. I mean, obviously they're not just hauling that in the way you catch normal. Have you fish, seen the picture of it? It was huge. It was like oh, six God. feet long and it was big. Yeah. yeah crazy. Crazy stuff. Alright, well, speaking of basketball, last week the NBA announced plans to return to play in late July and obviously there will be little to no crowd in the stands for these games so this week it was floated out that the league is considering using crowd noise from the video game nba 2k to simulate what a crowd would sound like first what are your thoughts on this and then also what's the smallest or quietest crowd you guys have witnessed at a college or professional sporting event i'm not a big fan of artificially pumping in crowd
1: noise. Music is fine. If they want to rev up some music you know, while guys are in timeouts, I'm okay with that. I don't know that I really want to see them do that with crowd noise. But they've talked about doing that with the NFL. If the NFL doesn't have crowds, doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And what's the smallest crowd? Oh, I've done some high school baseball games where there might have been, and it's cold. You know, we're out there, blankets around us, and you've got a couple moms and dads kind of hanging in there, rooting on little Johnny, but Maybe maybe 20 people at a high school baseball game, probably the smallest group that I broadcast in front of.
6: Well, I'm going to tell you right now. Um, what was the first part of the question? I was going to give you the smallest crowd.
1: Crowd noise. You just agree with pumping in crowd noise.
6: Oh, uh, I don't agree with it. But if they're going to use an NBA video game, go back. You remember the – on Super Nintendo, NBA Jam, or maybe N64, yeah. where I remember I'd, I'd, I'd play the two-man – Game would say, he's on fire. You remember that? That little phrase (laughs) right there? Yeah. If if they could do that, if someone hit a couple of baskets in a row, then I think they should do that. Otherwise, I'm not a big fan of crowd noise. Um, My top 100 smallest crowds I've ever done, I mean, I, I could go on and on, but the story I'll give you was a game before Nebraska actually had a big road crowd at Cal State Fullerton. Huskers were playing in a tournament there that kind of married up when the Huskers were in the Rose Bowl in, what was that, 2001? Yep. And uh, But anyway, the game before that, the Husker football fans hadn't shown up, and it was, you know, hardly anybody there. And there was a call on the baseline to my left, and I saw it clearly went off a Nebraska player and without even seeing the signal I said, and this, this ball belonged to the other team. And they, they gave it to Nebraska, and it was so quiet in there, the player ran all the way down to press Road, half court, pointed at me and said, Th- this guy right here saw it. He, he already said it was on <laughs> Nebraska. Hey, Mr. Official. So that's probably the quintessential how quiet can it get to broadcast a game. Or my first year of broadcasting women's basketball in 1985 with what was in Southwest Missouri State. Um, I was sitting next to the team bench at Macomb, Illinois. And, Greg, I'm sure you've done a game in Macomb, Illinois in your life. Um, Nobody goes to any games at Western Illinois. And uh, (laughs) I uh, didn't realize the bench could hear everything I said. And I I pretty much said our starting center wasn't playing very good defense. And the the head coach looked at me and said, yeah, you're right. I mean, right in the middle of the game. So (laughs) those, those are my two... Whoops. Stories I could think of immediately for how quiet was it.
1: <laughs> Beautiful.
4: There you go. Speaking of things getting quiet. So yesterday, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed legislation to dissolve the city of Wikiwachi That's about 50 miles north of Tampa Bay. Wekiwachi is world famous for hosting a mermaid show each year, but due to only 13 residents living in the town, it no longer exists. So the obvious question from this, what U.S. city would you guys get rid of if you had the power to do so? <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs>
6: <laughs> okay, uh, let me get back to Macomb, Illinois. There's, um, there, I have been, Yeah, this is well documented. Whenever I've talked about a town that, that I wish I'd never been to, Macomb, Illinois is there, and it has to do with many years of college baseball trips and, and basketball trips and football trips. I've done a lot of games. Um, they used to have one hotel in, in the town. Um, you can't get there from here. The road was always out. There's nothing to do. Um, I am not a fan of Macomb, Illinois. If you're listening from Macomb, Illinois, good luck to you. Um, I'm, I'm not going to take back anything uh, that I've I'm, I'm ever, ever said about it, and I've said it to a lot of people. Just not a fan of the Leathernecks or the Western Winds town. Those are, it's a fine school. I have no problem with people who go to Western Illinois, but how they ever get a recruit into that town, I don't know.
1: I'm kind of in that same area. I'm going up to Rockford, Illinois. That's not much of a town either. That's Northern Illinois' <laughs> campus there. That's one you're driving through and you're like, really? Somebody wants yeah. to come to school here? <laughs> so we're, we're picking on the state of Illinois, Coach. That's unbelievable. That's,
6: you know, uh, Deb Patterson, longtime Kansas State women's basketball coach, is from Rockford, Illinois. And um, I'm. Actually happy you mentioned that. Depp Patterson one time got thrown out of a game here at the Devaney Center, and someone told me she was standing out in the hallway watching the Husker Vision feed with our radio call underneath it, and I invited her to go to Misty's to get a steak instead of standing out in the hallway. So
5: um,
6: I'm, I'm, Rockford, Illinois is not high on my list either just because of her.
2: There you go. Well, we we asked you to bash some cities, but we'll end things on a positive note here with topic number seven. Earlier this week, the USC Trojans Athletic Department announced that it will end its disassociation with former running back Reggie Bush. The disassociation began in 2010, but due to an NCAA infractions rule passed a couple years ago, mandated disassociation with players is limited to just 10 years. So they're able to end that right now. So what other college or professional athletes should be be forgiven by their team and or league? Oh, boy, I'm going to stir it up here. It's time to forgive Pete Rose.
1: Let Pete Rose back in the good graces of everyone. I'm tired. He he was one of the greatest players of all time. Yeah, he probably bet on games, but my goodness, of all the bad things that have happened in the sport of baseball down through the years, let Pete Rose back in. (laughs)
6: Wow. This is a tough question because, uh, you know, the the first thing I thought about was Pete Rose, but. You're not
1: ready to forgive, huh?
6: I just, you know, I'm not... That gambling thing, when you gamble on your own team, I just don't know. So, Josh, did you say college or pro?
2: It could be college or pro, yep.
6: Man, I'm trying to think of, of maybe, you know, if Eddie Sutton were still alive, I don't know if they really you know, made peace with him at Kentucky. You know, I think he kind of got a raw deal. You know, I was a big Coach Sutton fan. I would probably, he never really got banned, though, you know. I, I, I would like to see Eddie Sutton still alive, have a more of a, a good working relationship with with the University of K- Kentucky, I think, more than anything. I, Greg, I can't go there with Pete Rose. That just, yeah, that just, really? I mean, you, you think it's time to move on from that?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I think before he passes away too I mean he was such a he was such a fan favorite he did so much for the game. yeah, he had a gambling problem, but my goodness is all the guys who've done steroids and all those different things gambled maybe not on baseball but gambled had drinking problems. I think Pete Petes paid his pen, penance but it's a great topic though.
6: Coach, we yeah. appreciate
1: it. it's been fun. I hope you enjoyed it.
6: Uh, I did. And any time I can uh, come on and, and uh, help Ben out. And, again, congratulations to him and the family. And uh, you guys did take it easy on me. I, you know, <laughs> it was as grim as I thought it was going to be.
1: Thanks, you God. Go. Appreciate it. We're back on Thursday night Sports Nightly here on the Husker Sports Network. Again, tomorrow night, no Sports Nightly. We'll have our greatest games brought to you by the Nebraska Lottery. So we time warp you back to 1983. Nebraska against Penn State.
2: Josh, you've been cutting that game up. What stood out as you went back to piece that thing together? Well, it was uh, interesting. It was the first uh, time the kickoff classic had taken place, the inaugural kickoff classic at the Meadowlands in East Rutherford, New Jersey. So that was kind of cool to hear them talking about that event. And then the stadium was pretty new at that point, too. So they were talking about how great the Meadowlands were, which was kind of funny. And then Penn State was the defending national champion. And the year before that, 1982, the two teams had played each other and the Huskers lost. And if you remember, 82 is the year that the controversial out-of-bounds play happened. And the Huskers ended up losing that game to the Nanny Lions. And... Um, so that, And that was the only loss to last that in that 82 season that the Huskers had. So they were coming into that 83 season. This was the first game of the year, and the Huskers were out for revenge. They were ranked number one. They had the triplets, you know, Gil, Rozier, and Fryer. So they were ready to go and playing Joe Paterno and the Nittany Lions, who are always good, the defending national champions, number four in the country. So it came in with a lot of hype, but uh, spoiler alert, the Huskers ended up playing <laughs> pretty well in that game. They, uh, they dominated it. <laughs> Yeah, but you, you want to hear the first quarter. They got off to a great start by
1: halftime. That thing was pretty well over. So i will be fun to hear that back tomorrow night here on on. It's been fun going through those. Also, tomorrow is our last game of the regular season for SNBL. Our playoffs start on Monday. So we're playing all three game 162s tomorrow. And the playoff picture is pretty well set, except for my division. I only have a game lead. My Harriers only have a game lead on the Farmers, so I could still lose to this division
2: tomorrow. You could lose it, but you're playing the Astros, who have been a a terrible, terrible, terrible team. They have, I think, 110-plus losses now as we go into game 162. So I I think you've got it sewed up. I think we we know what the playoffs are going to look like exactly, but I guess there is technically still a chance that uh, it could change tomorrow. But, yeah, yeah, it's fun. We're heading into the last day of the regular season and then the playoffs starting on Monday. So things heating up in the old SNBL. And Austin's
1: team will play Nate's team in one of the uh, the Monday wild card matches, and we know Ben's team will be a part of the Monday wild card, whether it be against the Farmers, the Fans team, or my team. Well, that'll be determined tomorrow. So 11 a.m. If you want to, if you're on a lunch break or something, want to tune in, you can access off Twitch. And we usually put the link up on our Twitter feed as we promote the games of the day around 11 a.m. So you want to do that come on board. We had a couple of new folks in the chat room again today. We have some fun. We talk about all kinds of topics when we get in that chat room and then just kind of kick around a lot of baseball topics throughout that. So join us tomorrow for that. Callers and guests into our show. Dot us up on our Sports Nightly Hotline. Brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family. Bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Thanks to Matt Cody for spending some time with us on our seven on seven. That was great having Coat take part in that. And always fun to hear from Teddy Greenstein from the Chicago Tribune, his insights on things that are going on around the sports world and in and around Chicago as well. It's been a fun hour here on Sports Nightly.